let's uh, we're going to pick back up in First Timothy, chapter one. This will be our third session. We'll get a few more verses in tonight, and uh, just keep plugging along till we get our way through here. <clears throat> so, let me pray, and then we'll dig around the word here. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your sacrifice, Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your word, Lord. We, would, we wouldn't have anything without your word guiding us and leading us. And we're thankful, Lord, that you've not left us alone. Orphans, you said. You've given us your word. You've given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us and to work together to bring us to victory. We give you praise for that. And we ask that you would give me the tongue of the learned, that I could speak your word, and that you would give us all ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and let's pick back up uh, in verse 18. Chapter 1, verse 18. And I would uh, recommend you that uh, if you're not up early enough or if you're going to work and you can't listen to those sessions on Wednesday at 6.30 in the morning to try to find time to listen to all that. And we're going to try to find a way to put that on media where it can all be together and uh, make those available to people. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. So there's two things that bring us together in the kingdom of God. First, it starts with the word. You can't do anything correctly unless you know the word of God. You're just playing in the dark. If I know God's word and I love him supremely, I can love my wife and children more. I can't tell you, I've been doing this a long time, I can't tell you the people that have chosen another relationship instead of God and how, how much turmoil is in that. You know, the natural side of us says, I need to, um, so I just, I'm not going to put them in the path, but there's a pretty tall stick man. He's about 6'8". And, uh, there's a stick woman with the 80s hairdo. So our natural design is, or desire is that we would, okay, if, if, if I'm going to love that person, child, spouse, whatever, the most, I've got to love them supremely. But here's the problem with that. If you don't love God first and love him the most, you won't be able to love them as much. You don't have the same capacity. You've heard me say this before. It's like out here at the KU plant. It's like trying to run a generator off of solar panels versus coal. The solar panel produces 5 or 10 megawatts, and the coal produces 450 megawatts. So that's, and you all have heard me illustrate that before. That's, you have a greater capacity to love your children, your spouse, whoever. So it starts with the Word, and then the Holy Spirit, Right? So the Bible says this, that the Spirit and the Word agree. So your confirmations come from the Spirit and the Word, and that's how we get guidance and encouragement and strength. And basically that's what he's saying here to Timothy. He said, you've got some prophecies concerning you that you need to wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, Paul's using his authority here in the church, and he's saying that, and I talked about the difference between blaspheming, that basically the whole session this morning was on blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in, in the context of what I used this morning, he, and I, I gave, a, basically the whole teaching was about that this morning, because that's where a lot of people uh, stumble and have questions. But he said, you can blaspheme me, you can speak words against me, all that will be forgiven. So we're not talking about something here these guys can't be forgiven for. Paul's trying to turn them over. They've been blaspheming, and he's trying to get them to see their, see their error. If we go to Corinthians, I think I shared this last week, they had a fellow who was living in sin, and Paul said, put him outside the church, so that his flesh might be destroyed, that his soul might be saved. 
So all that works in conjunction. If going to heaven is the most important thing in the world, then how much is too drastic to get somebody in the kingdom? If God loves all of us more than anybody else can love us, and we know that's true, if He created us and we have an obligation to serve Him because everything we have has come from His hand, including our life, and He loves us so much, the Bible says, it's not His will that any would perish, then how drastic do you think God should be? I'll tell you how drastic He was. He nailed his only begotten son on a tree. Would you have done that? Would you have hung your child on a tree to save people of whom most would, could care less? See, he died for the whole world. But most people could care less. They have no eyes to see. They don't really care about the next life. They have, they're not thinking about it at all. They, they, don't, they don't estimate their own life here. There's nothing else God could do other than make us serve Him. But that's what sets God apart from all other authority. He wants relationship. So He don't make us do it or there'd be no relationship there. If I have to tie my wife up in a closet to keep her with me, I don't have a marriage. Because there's no relationship there. I don't have a marriage. So God, think about God's position, all right? God put Adam and Eve in the garden. He gave them a free will. In other words, they could choose, just like we have. You can, choose. You can serve God, or you can do your own thing, whatever that would be. God gave you a free will. Nobody, no angel, has anybody had an angel come to your door or visit you and say, you go to church, I don't care what you... <laughs> nobody's had... It's, it's our choice, right? No angel has chained you up and brought you to church. The Holy Spirit has not chained you up and brought you to church. You have a free will. Now, God gave us a free will at the risk that we would choose to sin. Hoping, or desiring, I should say, that we would choose to obey or trust. God gave us a will so at the risk that we would choose not to trust Him and do our own thing, but desiring that we would. And the reason He doesn't force us to choose Him, unlike world leaders we've read about over the years, is because there's no relationship in that. The beauty of marriage is, is you're choosing somebody above everybody else. Forsaking all others. Relationship. So God so wanted relationship with you and I, that He gave us a free will, desiring that we would trust Him, knowing that we may do our own thing, and then He re-upped on that and gave us His only Son. Gave us another chance. Because Adam and Eve blew it in the garden. And so he says, These guys, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Satan's role in a Christian's life sometimes is designed to uh, get the rough edges off or to get our attention. God uses those things. He's in control of Satan. Satan can't do anything outside of God's jurisdiction. Now, God is not responsible for bad, but for anything to happen in God's universe, He has to allow it. He's God. He has to step back, drop the hedge like He did, whatever. There has to be some Satan come to God to get permission in Job. Remember that? He had to go to God to get... That should give us great confidence, right? We're, so God, God is in charge. He's the bookends. Things going on in the middle here. But Satan just can't do whatever he wants to do because he's not God. He's a created being. And so God has all the jurisdiction. You cannot escape God's jurisdiction. And David talks about that in one of the Psalms. He said, don't matter where I make my bed, you're there. So God has 
Paul actually, through Paul here, has actually said, let's put these guys out. All this is done so that they see the error of their ways and realize what they're missing out on. But what happened here in America was, in the 80s, started probably in the 60s, got, everything gets worse, right? The further we move away from God. They started coming to the church in the 60s and got turned away. A lot of folks did. Because everybody was, didn't look the same, right? You know, most of us at least have read about what happened in the 60s, right? You know about it. <clears throat> I mean, a lot of the things that's going on in our world today are products of the 60s. In our country, for sure. But then, what the church normally does, especially if it don't follow the Holy Spirit, if it just looks at things in the natural, the church overreacted when they saw the error of their ways. And so, instead of swinging that pendulum and getting it in the balance of the Spirit and the Word, we have this tendency, oh no, we're way out of whack, and we just swing it all the way over here. And so, <clears throat> we can do that in our own personal lives too. But what happened with the church, the church then said, Let's be like the world. And now look what's happened. The world don't need to come out from out there into the same thing they got out there. That don't work. And so the, we, we overreact, right? Now we have less than 13% of Americans who are devoted Christians. When I was growing up, they would say it was in the 70s, which was probably exaggerated because people, you never really know what all everybody's like. But you, less than 13%, the last poll, of people who are committed. And we're not talking about people who just go to church. We're talking about people who are committed to their faith. And not necessarily that they do anything at church, but they live out their faith wherever they're at, on their job, in their home, whatever. It's, it's the paramount thing for them. That's where we're at. And they did a study in the 90s. Some of you may remember this. They asked that generation, you know, that we really thought was really far out. But if we thought that generation was far out, most of us went around. Some of you were around to see the 60s. That generation was really far out. Right? <laughs> but they, they did a poll, and they said, this is one of the things they said. They said, we don't want to go to church in a gymnasium. So we don't want the same things out there. And I know some people maybe need to meet in the gymnasium until they get up and going like we met in the roller rink. But they, they, they're, they're, we thought they wanted the same things they had out there. Well, that's not Christianity. They wanted the church to be a different environment than the ball game or the concert. And we misread all of that. I'm not saying you did or I did, but the church misread all of that. Because the church, and this is a problem, and it's a problem in our own lives if we're not careful here, the church is too reactionary. <clears throat> I think that's a word. If it ain't, I just made one up. I made one up in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if I shared it publicly. It's culturized. And that's not what happens to buttermilk either. It's something that's going on out there. So reactionary, we become reactionary. You know, I've taught this a lot. Christians are not reactors. Christians are actors. In other words, we're already predisposed because we know God's Word and we're led by the Spirit to conduct ourselves a certain way. We don't react to the situation. When the situation comes up, we act on God's Word. So if, if, if uh, the Bible says, if they send a harsh word, we send a soft answer, Right? That's marriage, business, whatever, right? They send a harsh... If you... If somebody gives you a harsh word and you react, you're going to give them one right back. Maybe a little harder than the one they gave you. Right? It's like the old bat. Throw the bat up there and you go up to the... Right? I'll outdo you. But we're not that way. As Christians, we're predisposed to do the right thing. Now, I'm going to tell you where this, this country is going to be made or broke. And we're getting close. Because most people in this country live in fear. I don't care what they say. Most people in this nation, probably around the world, I don't want to pick on just America, live in fear. 
And we're come to the point that Israel came to, to where we're going to have to make a choice of whether we're going to obey men or God. That's where we're at. And some of it may cost you your job. Some of it probably will cost you relationships, friendships, because education and politics have become gods in this country. They compete with God. You could grow up in an environment that's not Christianized at all, and they will tell you the greatest thing in life is education. But it's not. It's important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing that's going on in any of our lives, including our children and grandchildren, is their, their life of faith, their journey of faith. It's more important than any education they get. It's more important than mathematics or science. It's their journey of faith. My journey of faith. Your journey of faith. Because Jesus said, if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, what profit is there in that? So we're actors so you, if you're an actor in your own relationships and things, and it's hard not to react. I mean, that's, that's a challenge. That's where we need to be led and filled with the Spirit so that we are under His control, tempered, that He self-control is what the Bible calls it in one of the, the, the parts of the Spirit there in Galatians. But it, it's, it's self-control under the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we can do it. We talked about this uh, on one of the uh, Holy Spirit sessions, but the Bible says the worst part of us is our tongue. That's the only part of us that it says is set on fire of hell. And so a lot of people in the full gospel movement, they like to boast in what happened on Pentecost, but the reason God went after their tongue first, he knew if he didn't get a hold of their tongue, he couldn't use them. Because that's the thing that starts wars. That you know, Paul said in another place, and I think we'll cover it eventually, he said, have, live a quiet life and don't get into other people's business. Now that's hard to do with social media, right? Because somebody's going to stir you up. And then you're going to react. Instead of acting, right? Let's see if we can get a few more verses in. <laughs> Then, uh, let, let, let me back up. Let me take you to, uh, let me, where do I want to take you? Let me take you to Acts chapter 5, because I want to share you a couple of things with you before we go on in Timothy here. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27, uh, here's, here's the line we draw. We obey the laws of the land. The Bible tells us to do that. So if the speed limit's 65 and you're doing 75, and you get a ticket, you're supposed to. Now, you don't have to like it, but that's just the way it is. right? We obey the laws of the land. We may not like all the taxes. I don't like all the taxes I have to pay, but that's the law of the land. When they said, hey, we got to pay our taxes, Jesus, of course, he had an advantage. He went fishing and got money. I wish I could pull in fish with money in their mouths. First, I need to learn how to pull in the fish, and then we'll see what's in them. But he didn't say, hey, we're not paying that. I'm the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm the one that really owns this place. They paid it. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So we know that we're supposed to obey the laws of land until, let's look at verse 27 of chapter 5. He says, I may, I, may not, I may have had the wrong place. Acts, am I in Acts? What's 20? Okay. Uh, somewhere, I thought I was at the right spot where it says we are. Okay, verse 29, I said 27. But Peter and the other apostles answered, they were challenging them. Let me back up to verse uh, uh, 26. Then the captain went with the official officers, brought them without violence because they were preaching. Uh, and they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked him, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? 
And, and look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. So there was the line. This wasn't the first time they'd been reprimanded. You see that? They'd already been told not to do it, but they have to do it. Because God had commissioned them, and He's commissioned all of us to some level to be a witness for Him. So it was either obey God and keep spreading the message, or listen to the men who said, hey, you can't be doing that here. Now, we're going that way. Uh, Boston. Did anybody see what happened in Boston this week? It went to the Supreme Court. You can petition Boston, the city, the local government building there, to fly your flag. You have to pay for it. Okay? So the Christians got together and petitioned, and they, I don't know, they fly all kinds of flags, right? It's just a way to make money. It's a gimmick, really. But the Christians said, hey, well, why don't we pay to have our flag flown a few days in one of the most liberal states in the Union, right? And so they fly it, and somebody protests, so they go to the Supreme Court with this action. The Supreme Court rules, hey, you can't keep the Christians from flying their flag if you've got a policy that says you, you can pay and have your flag flown. You know what Massachusetts' response was? Well, we're going to have to change the laws so we can decide which flags can be flown. So they're going to change the laws so they can possibly fly the Muslim flag and not the Christian or whatever flag, right? But they just don't want the Christian flag flown. So did you understand that? This is not a separation in church or state. This is the enemy saying, I hate Jesus Christ and everything he stands for and anybody who follows him. We've, we're fighting spiritual wickedness in high places. So I'm going to tell you something. It may cost us to stand for our faith. It may cost us. But what hill are you willing to die on? Jesus chose his hill to die on, didn't he? The hill he died on saved all of us. We got so many things, so many things going on in our world, people. I'm going to do that. I'm for this. I'm for that. Who's for God in his word above everything else? And so we're, when we have, a, we, we have a decision to make, if they say, hey, we got to obey the laws of the land, that's true until there's a conflict with God's word and what man has made as a law. That's where we draw the line. Now, let's go to Romans 13, because as we see all this, this is God. He says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, in Romans 13 and 1. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, if you just read that and didn't have other chapters and verse to bring that into balance, it might be confusing. But we, we just went to Acts, and there's another place in Galatians where God, when we have to make a choice sometimes, we don't always have to do that. If it's the speed limit, tax, whatever, things that, that are not against God's Word, but sometimes we do have to make a choice. And other brothers and sisters in some of these countries have been making those choices for a long time. Our brothers and sisters in China, they track you so much, and that's basically happening here in America as well. They track you so much that if you're connected to a Christian group, I had a meeting with one not, uh, uh, last year, and he was telling me, all they will track you, they'll keep you from getting a job, they can keep you from riding public trans, trans, transportation, they can do all, and they can actually imprison you. They basically can do whatever they want to. You've got to understand that it's not just politics going on. It's Satan. He's the God of this world. He hates everything God stands for. He don't want any more Chinese people saved. He don't want any more Americans saved. He don't want any more Canadians to follow the Lord. South Americans, we could go on and on and on. He's resistant, and he turns men's hearts and, and keeps them blind, and they love darkness, some of them do, so therefore they resist the light. They won't come to the light. But we, we are in a war. That's why as Christians, we've got to understand we're not fighting flesh and blood. That's what the world sees. We understand there's a war between good and evil, God and Satan, 
And that war is going on, and we have to choose sides. And as I read this morning in, in the study in the Holy Spirit, by not choosing Christ, you have chosen a side. He said, he who's not for me is against me. He who don't gather with me scatters. So by not choosing Christ, you have chosen a side. And so Christ is the only way out of here. He, God made everything. And let's just say God wasn't perfect and all righteous and all good. And it still wouldn't matter if he was in charge. Ultimately, and we're thankful for God's attributes, right? He cannot lie. He cannot do wrong. He can't do evil. And we could go on and on. His mercy, his long-suffering, his all the wonderful attributes of God, his love. But ultimately, what makes God God is no one can overthrow him. He's God, and we'd, we don't even have to like it. They came out a few years, many years ago, said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And then finally somebody got the true revelation and said, God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. He's in charge, right? That was the true statement. So, so God's in charge. We need to honor Him above everything else. There will be times where there's no conflict. But when there is, then we have to choose God. And so, I vote morally. That's how I vote in politics. I vote morally. I come to God's Word. That's my first place I start. Because I don't want to offend God in the least. I'll tell you how much I don't want to offend God. When I'm searching for something on my phone, I never spell God's name unless it's capitalized. I just... The Jews wouldn't even sound it out in some cases or spell it out. I, I, I feel that much respect for the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God that I can't even do any research without capitalizing their name. I just I want Him to know that I honor Him. And I don't think I'm going to miss heaven because of that, but He means that much to me. I want Him to know that I honor Him, that He is supreme, and I know He's supreme. I wrestle with God. I battle with God. God gets my attention. So he lets trouble come in sometimes to get my attention. All those things are real. And I'm telling you, when I'm battling with God and going after Him and He's coming after me, I know who's in charge. I never lose sight of that. I know who's in charge. I said jokingly a few weeks ago, I said, me and God's got a disagreement and one of us is wrong. Guess who it was? <laughs> it's me, right? I know who's in charge. I don't have any doubts about that. And when I say my peace, sometimes I may have to repent or say, God, please have mercy on me because I'm just, letting you, I'm just being real before you. But I have no doubts that you're in charge. You call the shot. Let me tell you something. Let me just take that a little bit further. I have no doubts that God's got my days numbered. He knows exactly when I'm going to die. He's got the hairs of my head. He knows how I'm going to leave. Probably that's a good thing. We don't really know how we're going to leave. It's up to him. And so he, he's got to die. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't stand up here week in and week out. I believe God's got everything under control. You can just look at Israel and know that God's got everything under control because he's done exactly. I felt the Spirit when I said he's done exactly what he said he would do with Israel, from bringing them back to being a nation to making Jerusalem their capital and giving it back to them. He's got all the nations put in place from China to uh, uh, Russia, which is Magog and, and Meshach and Tubal and Gomer and Germany. All those pieces are in place, countries that went down to nothing. Some of them went away and come back, God's brought them all back. I don't have one thing to worry about if I really sit down and think about it. And neither do you. If God is that big that he can turn the heart of a king, that he can raise Israel back up and make them a nation again when nobody thought that would happen for 2,000 years. Even good Christians didn't think that would happen. If you read some of the literature from the late 1800s and 1900s, they were saying things like, we read Matthew 24, but we must be misunderstanding it because there's no way Israel will ever be a nation again. And lo and behold, in 1948, guess what? God said, it's time. And he brought them back home. And he did the same thing in 1967 with the Six-Day War. And he brought Jerusalem back to them. They left control of the Gentiles, went back under the hands of the Jews. Jesus talks about that. And he's talking about the end of time. Your God is in control of everything. Amen. Somebody ought to give him praise. Amen. Even the governments, he's in control. He says, uh, 
therefore whoever resists authority. Let me just go on a little further. It, 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 God allowed Putin to be in office. He's allowed everybody to be in office. He, and, and maybe people get what they deserve because if you've got a nation that's went from 70% Christians to 13, maybe we're getting what we deserve as a group. But that don't mean God's not going to take care of his own because everything went backwards in Egypt except for one town. And that town was where God's people was at. It, the Bible said there was darkness over the whole land except in Goshen. And that's where God's people was at. We don't have anything to worry about if we really understand the Scripture and really believe who's in charge. And that's the Lord. Can you say amen? Uh, he says, God raises up these authorities. I won't, I won't take you into all of this as their ministers to attending to continue to that thing. So... Let's go back to Second First uh, Timothy. The God raises up authority, so we're to honor it and respect it until that authority goes against God, right? And and uh, he says, the next thing he says, therefore I exhort first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. In fact, Jesus told us to pray for our enemies. Have you prayed for an enemy lately? Do you have an enemy? Have you stirred the devil up enough to cause you to have an enemy? <laughs> so we're to, we're to pray for all men, which includes everyone, for kings and all who are in authority. that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all good godliness and reverence. So the Lord challenges us to pray for our enemies, to pray for our leaders, to pray for everybody. And that's hard to do sometimes. When I worked in the mines, they brought a guy in from another area who was, in the, at least in his own mind, he was a big shot. But he didn't know God. And I was, there was just a few of us that knew the Lord. And I was one of them in that setting. And he would do everything he could do to stir me up. I was young, but I already had a position of authority in the minds because the Lord worked it out. But I was not above him, but he, they brought him in to straighten us all out. And so... He was very aggressive, very vulgar, very, and he did those kinds of things to try and stir me up. And, uh, and I was a young guy, but I was, I was getting madder because it went on every day. Once he found out I was a Christian, he'd come after me. And so one day he was doing this at, at what we call the bathhouse, the portal outside the mines where guys come and, can get all, they, they come out black and leave a Caucasian, whatever. I mean, you can't tell who it is. All you can see is the white of their eyes usually when we come out. And so a lot of them would take showers there and stuff. And I was up there, I had to come to the mines to do something, and he started in on me. <clears throat> and it was getting bad. And I started hearing Hank Williams Jr. playing in the back of my mind. And I, I was thinking, if I slug him, I'm fired. And but I, I so I turned and walked outside on the mountain. I was looking down the mountain, just trying to regroup myself so I wouldn't do nothing stupid. Uh, and then one of the guys come out, and he knew, he saw what was going on. He was trying to calm me down. That, that and other, but he he really come after me. But we got to stand our ground in the in the midst of that kind of stuff. We live in a hostile world. So I come home mad from the mines that day. I was mad. The more I drove home, the more I thought about it, right? You just stir yourself up more. Uh, at that point, I might have turned Hank Williams on the radio just to stir myself up a little more. <clears throat> One of them eight-track tapes. <laughs> and uh, I got home, and I was so angry at him. And uh, so I went to the creek bank to pray to try and get that off of me. And I, I started praying, and the Lord was compelling me to pray for him. And I was like, Peter, I said, not so, Lord. I'm not, pray I'm not praying for him. It's kind of like uh, Tony when I was in school. Some of you remember that. 
When I got home and started praying, then the Lord broke me enough to where I prayed a half-hearted prayer for this guy. And somewhere in the middle of me praying for him, the Holy Spirit sat down on me. And I can't explain it except to say this. I felt what he felt. The Holy Spirit let me feel what was inside of that guy. And I broke. What I felt was so miserable and so despaired. He, it was all a front. He was so miserable inside, and God had to calm me down and get me out of the flesh enough to say, here's what I want. And so then, once that happened, I was able to pray for him continually. See, that's how it works. I was probably going to just come home mad every day. But that stopped all that. Man, I feel the Lord right now. It stopped all that. He was my arch enemy, and he, he, he ridiculed me in front of everybody else because they knew what I stood for. He's the guy, one of the guys in that group that said, I know where I'm going when I die. And they made a big joke about it. I'm going straight to hell. You know, and I said, uh, I said, nope. No, you're not. I said, you're going to go up and meet him and bow your knee and confess who he is. I said, and then you're going to hell. <laughs> so, you're going to have adversity, and it's going to get more intense because this, our, our nation as a whole has turned away from God. And here's why I did a lot of stuff in Amos lately in the last couple of months is because what happened in Israel? They had pockets of revival, like with Josiah and stuff, but the nation was getting judged as a whole, but they were still... That's what's going to happen in America. That's what we've experienced the last couple of years. God's going to bring revivals to certain pockets where people are trusting Him, believing Him, putting Him first, but our nation's going to be judged as a, as a whole. That doesn't mean God can't... He can do some marvelous things, right? He does marvelous things. But that's what happened. If you go back and study Amos, Israel was getting judged as a nation, but there were pockets of revival, people returning to God and trusting Him and believing and, and promoting His Word in the midst of a nation getting judged. That's what we got to look forward to. Because our nation has, I mean, we've put God, and here this battle's come up again over killing offspring. God's offspring. Let me say a word. I try to say this. If you've ever had an abortion, if you're listening to me around the world tonight or somewhere else or you get this podcast, you can be forgiven. We're not here to condemn anybody. But we got to stop saying something that's wrong is right. We got to stop that stuff. And, and I don't know how offensive it must be to God for God for us to kill every, these, this many offspring of his. I've said this before, if we had five cattle in the field and somebody killed two of them, we'd call the law. We'd get the law involved over two cattle. And God has been so patient and long-suffering that he's shown us lots of long-suffering. But I'm going to tell you something. He says, and this, the scripture is filled with it, there's a payday for shedding innocent blood. And there's no escaping it. There is a payday for that. Now, we can stay above it in Christ. I mean, he's going to take care of us. But that, that's our nation. We're going to see some pockets of revival. But our nation's in trouble. Our nation is in trouble. When somebody who represents a large part of the church in this country gets up and says that abortion is a blessing, we're in trouble. When they passed that bill in New York and said you could kill a baby as it was being born, basically, and the, the priest of the governor begged him not to sign it. Kudos to him. When they, and you saw what all New York's been through in the last, since that's happened. And they, and my wife, it drives her crazy that it's the women that clap and cheer the loudest for stuff like that. They stood up and clapped, and you'd think they'd be the protectors of children. Now, I'm not, again, I'm not saying... I know personally people who've had abortions, God's forgiven them. That's not, the issue's not whether God forgives or not. But I'm just saying, you and I cannot keep calling something right that's really wrong. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this. Can you disagree with God and live with Him? I think there's a lot of people who say, I don't believe God's Word wherever. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's God's Word. I don't believe that's the way it is. I, you mean you're going to go to heaven and hang out with God and say, hey, 
What you wrote in Romans, I don't agree with. Think about that for a minute. How can two walk together unless they agree? You don't get to go to heaven and play by your own rules. In fact, if we're playing by our own rules down here, we're deceived. We play by his rules. And then he says, he says, want to live for this is good and acceptable on the side of God who desires all men to be saved. That's his desire, right? All men to be, it's not his will any person. And come to the knowledge of the truth. What is truth? Truth is not a fact. It's a person. It's the Word of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Truth is inalterable. Facts can come and go, right? You used to live in Kentucky. You can see that. It'd be 80 degrees one day and snow on the next. Facts can change. Truth never changes. You and I don't get the right to change what's in here. The Bible says if we add anything to us, we'll have our part in the lake. If we take anything away, he'll take our part away. This is it. Somehow you've got to come to this and embrace it. I'm not saying everything's easy. I'm just saying we've got to know who the authority is, and it's God. He's the creator. Then he says, he says that he would, they would come to the truth for there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So our God is in charge he wants us to live a life with godliness and reverence. In fact, Paul says in either First or Second Timothy here, he said, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness profits for all. So our number one goal, and I think we all should take care of our, their bodies, they're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but that should be our number one goal. Our number one goal is that we live godliness in our lives, that we treat our neighbor like we want to be treated, that we love our enemies that we pray for those who despitefully use us. That's a challenge. But that's the height of Christianity when we are able to lay our lives down. And then he says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He is our ransom. The beauty of God preserving the lineage. In Matthew, the lineage went back to Abraham through Joseph. In Luke... The lineage goes back to Adam through Mary because Mary was of the tribe of Judah as well. And if you read those lineage, you'll come through one of come, but the one that come through his line had been cut off. And so God raised, kept Nathan's line coming, which is where Mary's from. She's still from David, but she come through Nathan's line, his son, that he named after the prophet. She come through that line. And God fulfilled his promise. and kept, Nothing catches God off guard. Even though Solomon's line had to be reprimanded and cut loose, cut off, God kept bringing David's line through Nathan. And when you read Heli, that's Mary's father, because it says Heli, as was supposed the father. He wasn't Joseph's father. Joseph's father was in another. He was of the tribe of Jews as well. But Joseph was not Jesus' real father. The Holy Spirit was. And so he came as a ransom. God's plan is perfect. The devil cannot overthrow him. He's in charge. He's in charge of every single thing. And what's changing my life to even grow more in my faith at the age I'm at and been doing this for 30 is now when I get, I'm starting to see the reality is that all of my trust fund is in the cross. Everything that I'm ever going to encounter and need has already been bought and paid for at the cross. And so now I don't argue about the weather today. When I run into a situation, I go back to the cross. I'm not going to stand here and get all my emotions worked up anymore over trying to maneuver Satan. I'm going back to the cross. And I'm going to say exactly what Jesus said when I'm in a battle. It was finished. My healing, finished. My salvation, finished. My deliverance, finished. My sin, finished. My shame, finished. Amen. We have a trust fund. Like I was saying Sunday, we have a trust fund. 
And so it's through Christ. And he says, To be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So he brought that faith, that truth, Jesus Christ, over to us Gentiles as a group. Before the Jews were scattered, the focus was on Israel. Jesus said, I didn't come except for the lost house of Israel. He went around to try and gather those who would believe on him. Few of them did. Paul said, from now on, I'm going to the Gentiles. You Jews think you're not worthy of salvation. Then he tells us another time, because he's praying for them, obviously. He said, if I could be accursed for my brothers, I would. That's a big statement. I don't know if I'd do that. To be accursed and go to hell so that somebody else could be saved. I mean, that's a big statement. And Paul turns to the Gentiles. So now the focus has been on the Gentiles. And a few Jews are trickling in. They still trickle in. Their eyes are open. They believe, like Jonathan Kahn, some of you are familiar with him. They, they trickle in, right? It used to be Gentiles trickling in and believing, like Ruth. Now the Jews are trickling in. But soon, very soon, because the, the timetable, the hourglass turned over and started its last turn when Jerusalem went back in the hands of the Jews. And Jesus said, when you see this, and he gives a few more signs, he said, no, that this generation will not pass till everything's done. So we're that terminal generation. And we don't, know when, we don't know the day nor the hour, but we know we're in that season. And so the Lord, is, he, he's bringing all this full circle so that we can understand and see his plan. The Lord's in charge. I'm so confident of that. No matter what you see, uh, and we're going to have to say it to everything. When you walk in the store and bacon's 12 bucks, it's going to have to say the Lord's in charge. Might want you to eat something else. He might be saving you a heart attack or something. That one guy said he eats so much of it, said he's pork positive when they took his blood out of that. So whatever God's in. If gas goes to 5 or $6 a gallon like they're saying this summer because of everything, God's in charge. He's going to make a way. And you all have already started to see that, haven't you? I have. Because some of the stuff I normally buy, I'm finding for way discount. Maybe it's just of us. Maybe they don't even know why it's ringing up like that at the restaurant. But the Lord's in charge. They said, uh, he said, there was Elijah out there by the brook, nothing to eat. Here come a raven. Bring him something to eat. Then he had a widow woman. And she got blessed out of the deal, right? Right in the middle of the famine. God's able. I heard a testimony of a guy who was in prison. He was a missionary in prison in a foreign country. And they were starving him. And he said one morning, he woke up and here come a big rat with a banana by the stem, unscathed, left that banana in the cell and went out. Another day or two later, here come that same rat, I guess, unless he had a wife. Had an apple by the stem, drug it in the prison cell, and left it unscathed. Whew. Your God, don't have, there's not one sparrow that falls to the ground that he don't know about. The Bible says he's got the very hairs of our head numbered. He can tell a rat, hey, you go do this, you go. He can tell a donkey, right? He can tell a big fish. Say, listen, one of my guys is going the wrong way. He's rebelling on me. Uh, you get heading that direction because he's going to go overboard. And when he goes overboard, you swallow him. Don't you eat him. Right? You swallow him, and you go exactly to Nineveh, and you spit him out over there. That's God. And let me tell you something else that I think about. The Bible says he told him to go loose that coat who nobody had ever ridden before. You don't get a coat on a coat if it ain't been ridden before unless you're the Lord of the universe. Don't you think for a minute that coat didn't know who was sitting on him? Because that donkey with Balaam said, Hey, who's the dummy? He said, I've been a good donkey forever. And since you see that angel in the way, Balaam was so blind, the donkey was, have, was turning him to the side and he got mad at the donkey because the donkey was hurting him knocking his leg into the wall or whatever. And the donkey said, hey, dude, you are missing it. I mean, God, he owns creation. 
He owns the fish. Everything we've got is borrowed. You don't really own nothing when it comes to God. It's all borrowed. We may own stuff with each other. That's your shirt and this is mine. But with God, it's all borrowed. It's all His. When the game's over, He's putting it back in the box and putting a Monopoly game up in the closet. It's all His. But that should give us great confidence because we're His children. And Jesus said He's going to allow us to share in His inheritance. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would not have told you. And he's coming back again for those who trust in him. Amen. And I'm out of time. <laughs> you all want to send out for pizza? Trust me, for what's coming, I need to be real. We're going to spend a lot of time on it next week. In those next few verses. So, uh... The Lord's in charge. He's faithful. I want to give you just a few things to pray about. Our churches, we have two churches in Nigeria, as you know, and two schools and a goat farm through our mother uh, ministry, Basilea. They're under attack again over there. They're kidnapping. And there's a group that's risen up that's worse than Boko Haram. In fact, some of the people I'm connected with that are here in America from Nigeria, the people from Nigeria are telling them to not come back until it's better. They said, because as soon as you get off an airplane and they find out where you've come back from, you will automatically be a target, you and all your children. And they're kidnapping them over there. And, and who knows what's happening after that. Some of them are probably dying because they don't, they don't hesitate to kill them over there. So a lot going on with that. So let's be praying for them that the Lord will have his way in that, okay? Um, if that's the Lord, just... just <laughs> uh, if anybody brought a tither and offering, Brother Rob will receive that. He'll be in the back for you there. Uh, so let's pray. May, is that a message from God? What was it saying? What was it saying there? <laughs> was it Hank? Confirmation on what I shared there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I love these people you've brought here together to be my family. And we're so thankful for you, Lord. And we're all... Flawed, Lord. We, we all do things. Uh, we're just not perfect, Lord. Uh, but you are. And you brought us together to love each other and to care for one another and to uh, help each other and to pray for each other. And Lord, I'm just thankful for all my brothers and sisters, not only here but around the globe that we are brothers and sisters with. And we're thankful, Lord. And thank you for your word, Lord. You are still the way, the truth, and the life. There's none beside you. Amen. Amen.